Today's scripture will be coming from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. This is the word of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God. This is our third message on this uh, passage. I hope you guys are starting to get pretty familiar with this passage. If you've been a Christian a long time, I um, hope you, ha- you just know this passage. It's probably one worth memorizing. Um, but I'm actually going to focus on the portion before the commission. The commission is, go, theref- go therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then observe all that I have taught you. Um, today I want to talk about this odd portion, right? So in verse 16, it says, 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And here's the part I want like to spend some time thinking about today. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Now, you know who we're talking about here? This isn't just Jesus. This is Jesus after he's conquered death. This is a risen Jesus. This is a post-Easter post, uh, event. So when they're seeing this Jesus person, a few days ago, he was dead, all right? And uh, they saw him crucified. They saw him humiliated. And they are now with him. And then he's going to give this great command. And so this was this. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> he, he's resurrected. He can't, he's not even going to not die. He can't die. He's a resurrected king. But then here, then it says this really weird part, but some doubted. What? They worshipped him, but some doubted. Um, you know, we're going into a season where we want to urge you to be, to do this, to go into the nations. And we've already taught you that the nations aren't far away. They're your neighbor, okay? They're in the next cubicle. Um, but go to the nations and tell them about Jesus. It's a, you know, I, w- I want to give you a message about being an evangelist. But we're not good at this. We're really not good at this, are we? We're really honest. We're, most of us are not really good at this. And what I want to share with you today is they weren't either. <laughs> okay? That's what I want you to understand. These are not super Christians. We think these are the disciples. They became the apostles. The church was built on them. They're super Christians. No. They are normal Christians. They're just normal people. They worshiped Jesus, but they also doubted, okay? And that's what I want to talk about today. So in three parts, part one, um, doubting fearful followers and proclaimers. Doubting fearful followers and proclaimers. That's, that's like 99% of the kind that Jesus has, okay? Including you and me. Part two, the power of the gospel, not our power, not the power of revived church, the power of the gospel, right? 
And part three, a grace big enough for the frail, okay? A grace that's big enough for the frail. So um, I want to start uh, by reading you a, a little bit of a lengthy quote. And um, I, I didn't want to project it there because I didn't want you to be like reading it too. I want you to just listen. And um, this is from a commentary written by a guy named Frederick Dale Bruner. He's, re- he's retired now. He's, I think he was a New Testament professor at a Christian college, um, Whitman? I think so, Whitman, right? And uh, he wrote a superb commentary on the, on the Gospel of Matthew. And I read what he said about this passage. And, um, and I thought what he said was so good that I, I, I want you to hear it. And this is how he puts it. By reporting worship and doubt in the same sentence, Matthew tells the church that the structure of Christian faith and life is bipolar. I think that's a really interesting use of words. We tend to meet people that are mentally ill and they're, they, you know, they're known as bipolar. And we're saying, you're, you know, because, you know, they're manic, happy, <laughs> and then they're depressed, sad, right? But you know what he says? He says the normal playing of the Christian life is bipolar, <laughs> Except we're not talking manic and depressive. We're talking they worship and then they doubt. That's what he's saying. Disciples live their lives between worship and doubt mixed with worship and doubt. We're filled with worship and doubt. Christians are both believers and doubters, adoring and wondering, trusting and questioning. Is it not refreshing that Matthew admits this, isn't it? You know, he's like, oh, it's so refreshing that the pastor admit this. How about the Bible? (laughs) Isn't it so great that God's word says this is normal? (laughs) He goes on. All disciples, and he emphasizes this. It's like, it's italicized. All of them. All disciples, and what's a disciple? You're like, I don't know my disciple. This, aren't the disciples the serious super follow? No, the disciple is a follower of Jesus, including the bad ones, all right? So if you consider yourself a bad one, but you believe in Jesus, you're a disciple, even if you're not a good one, right? All disciples experience this bipolarity, and it is not healthy to deny it. The good news of the Great Commission is that Jesus addresses and uses exactly such worshiping, doubting disciples. You see it? So here's this thing, great commission. Go do this impossible, crazy thing. Baptize all the nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who is he telling to them to do this? They're basically these 11 schmucks. <laughs> and that's, I just, let's just stop for a moment. Um, well, we think of the, 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 these first disciples that Jesus gathered together. We think they're the super saints. But if you actually read the Bible, okay, I, I, and I, uh, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, do you know what you basically get? You get a lot of guys acting like idiots. <laughs> he picked these 12 guys, these special 12 guys, and you know how they act? Like totally normal, low-grade human beings. Petty fighting, who's the better among us, right? And, they, and then they don't like each other. And then you think some of these stories are about Jesus telling some of these parables about, oh, you know, you should forgive, you should forgive 70 times 70. Well, you know what? It, was like, it wasn't relevant when they walked away from Jesus and went out there into their so-called normal life. It's happening right there in the room, 
right in the room. This guy hates this guy. They have different political views. They hate each other's guts. And um, that's what it was like. And he poured into them for three years. And then when everything mattered, I mean, when it really, really mattered, you know, they sat, just think about it. There's 12 guys. The gutsiest guy's name is Peter. And if you, you know, before that you get to uh, when Jesus is arrested and you get to the crucifixion, let's just say, you know, two years prior to that, hey, let's have a bet. <laughs> so if the Romans and the Jewish leaders come down on our heads and want to kill us because they can start to see this, that Jesus goes out there and says very offensive and very, very crazy things that's like, oh, these people don't like us and we could get in some serious trouble here. They can already see that. And then they, let's make a bet. Who's going to hold out? Who is going to completely, he's not going to wimp out if necessary, he will die with Jesus. Who's that guy? Everybody said that you'd rather, Peter. They would all point at him and say, Peter, best guy in the room, toughest guy in the room, no doubt about it. When he says, we're going to go to this direction, the rest of us just go. And you guys all kind of know what it's like. You get into a room and, you know, you, you, whether you're in high school or whether it's your work group, there's always somebody who's just a little tougher, a little more courageous, and what they say kind of has just more influence than everybody else. That was Peter. And do you know that when you get in the Bible, that there is a story of the most spectacular failure of the best guy. He was the best guy. Peter's the best guy. Toughest guy. He even, he even said it. Before Jesus gets arrested, he says, if, if, if you die, we'll be there. I'll be there with you. He said it. And then, you know what it also said in the Bible? The rest of them said, yeah, yeah, me too. It even says that, it says that in the Bible. But then one of them sells out Jesus for money. That's why it's 11. And then he kills himself. The other, they all run like cowards. And then this most horrific event occurs. Jesus crucified humiliated their movement. They think he's the Messiah. He's going to like conquer everything. Everything's going to be healed under him. Their movement looks crushed. I mean, you know, there, there's, there's always been kind of like these, you know, movements. Sometimes they're political. Sometimes they're religious. You know, in, in, this, back, in this day and age, nobody saw that there's a line between the political and the religious. It's all one and the same, right? Especially since Jesus proclaimed he's a king. And, and then it gets crushed and squashed by the powers that be. I mean, they're the greatest empire the world has ever seen destroys Jesus. Their own people destroys Jesus. They're like, oh my gosh, we're humiliated. We're losers. And then he's alive again. And then he says, meet me at this mountain. And then you go and meet him at the mountain. And then you're looking at, you've touched, I mean, one of them is so famously known as the doubting Thomas. So if your name is Tom, sorry, Tom, <laughs> uh, your mom named you after a pretty, you know, weak sauce dude, okay? <laughs> your mom and dad named you after, like, like one of the, the most admittedly, like, one of the dumbest of the 11, all right? So there's Jesus, and, he, and he's like, and he, before that, he goes, I will not believe Jesus is alive unless I actually touch his hands. That's what it says. So then Jesus actually shows up, and you know what Jesus does? He goes straight up to Thomas, goes, here, touch the hand. 
That must have been a great moment for Thomas, huh? <laughs> it's like, whoa, he knew what I said. He knows how, and he, we call him the doubting Thomas. But let me ask you this question. If you were one of the 11, wouldn't you be a doubting Thomas? Absolutely. You know, if, it's, it's, it's a good thing it wasn't Susan. You know, for the rest of history, they, they, they have this name, Doubting Susan. <laughs> and then they would name kids after Susan, but they're naming him after a, a dumb dude. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. <laughs> but um, that's the truth. These are the 11 people he chose. Why can't he choose you? Did he not choose you? Did he not choose me? He did. When Jesus here, this is Frederick Dale Brunner, does not correct or exercise, that is like take out the demon, or otherwise attack this doubt but quietly overlooks it, almost as if it is normal, and gives the great commission. So they doubt. It's like, oh, it's time out. Come on, dude. What, what, what is this? What is this doubting going on here? Can't you see I'm a mighty God? Can't you see I conquered sin and death? Can't you see, like, I'm better than the Romans and the, and the Jews who murdered me? Can't you see? I, I, just, I, just, I just conquered death. Did he do that? No. He just goes straight on into the Great Commission. The greatest command. The greatest commission. It probably should be called the greatest commission. The greatest command ever given to people, given to 11 schmucks, and then all the other schmucks are going to come after him called the church. Us, right? He teaches disciples that they will win their war with doubt simply by obeying his command. Obedience to the will of God is the way to the knowledge of God, Frederick Dale Bruner. Now, doubting worshipers, those are the normal kind. Now, I don't know. I'm not saying that some of you, I know you don't wake up in the morning and go, gosh, I doubt the gospel. I'm not sure. But don't you have all kinds of fears and doubts? A lot of you, maybe you do wake up and go, I'm not sure. Gosh, this Christianity thing. Sometimes maybe you have that. I certainly went through a period of my life when I, you know, like I grew up in the church. I got saved when I was about 11 years old. I was a very intense Christian in my high school years. And then I started moving toward atheism in my college years. And I had really, I had devout parents and I had really good teaching, right? And I had seen some incredible things as a teenager. And yet, atheism looked more interesting <laughs> for a while. And then there's many other times in my own life where even if I'm not doubting the whole truth of the faith itself, do I doubt God is there for me? Do I doubt that, you know, that God will be in me or God will use me or anything good will happen if I obey? If I obey, will I see anything of God? And aren't you, you like that? Now, there's a few things I want to say, a couple things I want to say here. Um, I grew up in, in an Asian Christian setting, right? In an Asian Christian setting. Now, Asians are very lo loyalty oriented. <laughs> you're one of us. If you're one of us, then you need to believe. And so it's just, not, it's, it's just not right for you to go around saying, but I got a problem with that passage. <laughs> and I got questions and I got doubts. 
And instead, you know, th- there's this kind of like loyalty pressure to not raise your doubts. And one of the things I want to say in our church is, I don't want to be that kind of church. Okay? Not because I'm like anti-Asian or something like that, because all, all communities need allegiance and loyalty. That, that's just, that's real. But we are talking about the most important thing to believe in, which is about what is the nature of God and your relationship to him. Let me tell you something. There has to be room for questions. <laughs> there has to be room for people to fall down. There has to not just be a little bit of room. There has to be a lot of room. <laughs> and there isn't just a lot of room because that's reasonable and that's fair and that is the human state, but because the gospel demands it. <laughs> because God is a God of grace. God is a God for sinners. And you don't stop sinning after you become a Christian. <laughs> and you don't just immediately go, oh, now I believe and now I'm going to obey everything, right? <laughs> Come on. We all know I believe and then tomorrow you obey a couple things and then the day after that you don't obey them. You disobey them about all kinds of things. And so will we fail to believe and obey the Great Commission? Of course we will. Oh my goodness, of course we will. So here's the thing that we're being told to do. Week after week, the pastors of this church, we urge you to go out there, use this cool little card made by design team, go to your friends, knock on your neighbor's door, ask your friend, do you want to go to church? You already know that they think, are you smoking crack? What are you talking about? (laughs) I don't go to church. It's like, I hate church. I went to church when I was very little, and, and, and I hated the priest, or I hated how boring it was, and I hated it, period. Okay, so come on. But, and that's what we're asking you to do, and you and I already know that that's out there. <laughs> that's not like out there, that's your friend. <laughs> we already know that, right? And yet, um, and you, so you have doubts. You have doubts. Can we do this thing? You have doubts as to, we're going to go out and be an evangelist. But one of the things I want to share with you is the unbelievably good news is that God chooses weak, frail, doubting followers. Jesus chooses them. And then he says, my whole, my whole, I mean, it doesn't, if you ask me, it seems like a pretty stupid plan. <laughs> you know, the, the, the transformation of the world, the most important message ever. Let's just put it into the hands of these Frail, doubting guys? It's the foolishness of God. That's how he does it. Right? That's part one. Um, part two, the power of the gospel. Now, Frederick Dale Bruner says this thing that I want to give a little bit of emphasis to. They will win the war simply by obeying the command. Now, you know, in, in, today we always go, if I don't feel like doing it, <laughs> then like then it's not being authentic. Come on. I don't always feel like taking my kids to piano. <laughs> All right? I did not feel like changing my son's diaper at 2 a.m. All right? I did not feel like doing those things. But was it less authentic that I would do it? Actually, let me argue for you this way. Sometimes when you don't feel like doing it and then you go do it, that's more authentic than ever. The day I don't feel like serving my wife, but then I humble myself to do it for her, that's probably the day I'm more holy than the other days I feel it. That's being real. That's real. 
right? But obedience, you know, I can't just ask you to just push against your feelings. What I want you to do is put something into your heart, into your mind, which is something to think about in the nature of the gospel, not how good you are. <laughs> um, you know what we're dealing with here? I mean, this is the Bible, but in the center of the Bible is this one most important message. It is the gospel. The gospel is the message by which people meet Jesus, okay? The culture has the name of Jesus in all kinds of different ways. So Jesus is all kinds of things. He's the guy that helped make me rich. That's what the prosperity theology guys teach. That's a lie, okay? Jesus sometimes won't let you be poor. Sorry, but that's true. But not poor, poor in money, but not necessarily poor apart from him. Never poor in grace. He might let you be poor in money. He might, he might let you get sick, but he'll be there in your sickness. That's the truth. But, so that's a false presentation of Jesus. It's not in the gospel. It's not an encounter with Jesus. There's other encounters with Jesus. Jesus, oh, let, me, let me put it this way. And people say these things about Jesus. He's a, he's a good teacher. He's a good moral teacher. He's a crazy moral teacher. <laughs> and if you just kind of follow his ways, you'll be a good person. No, you'll be a really stupid person. Because <laughs> if you're following Jesus for good moral advice, you're better off following lots of other people for good moral advice. Follow Dr. Phil, okay? He's like more practical American moral advice, okay? Because Jesus will lead you toward rejection. Jesus will lead you toward sacrifice, but Jesus will also lead you toward glory. Dr. Phil can't lead you toward glory. No moral teacher can do that. So, but it's the gospel. And then, of course, Jesus is also um, a swear word. <laughs> so these are all the different encounters with encounters with Jesus, but it's not the real Jesus. The real Jesus is met through the gospel. <laughs> and so if you bear this word, this good news of grace, and let me just stop for a moment here. Do you know that this thing that you and I, if you believe in Jesus and you come to church on a regular basis, you and I are regularly told this thing that God loves us by grace. God gives grace to us. Do you know that outside the church, there's no grace? <laughs> there's zero grace. If it ever happens outside the church, it's probably from Jesus. That just, they just don't know about it. That's what, what I tend to think, right? Oh, I watch a movie. There's grace in the movie. I'm like, oh, Jesus probably influenced that movie, <laughs> That's what I, I honestly started thinking because it's completely weird. Outside of the gospel, there's no grace. Forgiveness? There's no forgiveness. We'll fire you. Oh, you got a C. You're dumb. Oh, you got an F. You're really dumb. Oh, you're not good looking. Oh, look at that dress. You know, you watch a movie and, and then there's people that mock, you know, like, uh, like these set of kids mock this. That's normal. That's normal. Grace, grace is from God. You fail, you're a doubter, you fall down. You're not as pretty, you're not as smart. We don't just fail God in like these minor things like getting an A on an algebra test or you know, running, that, you know, running that, uh, that, that campaign well for the company. Those are relatively minor things in the world. We fail important things. We fail to love our neighbors. We're racist. We're greedy. We're all about me. We're sinners. That's not just failing. That's like failing and you deserve to go to hell failing. That's serious failing. 
there's grace. <laughs> That's the Jesus we know. When we tell people about that Jesus, that's the gospel. That word is supremely powerful. Do you believe that? Now, I want to say a few things, a couple things to you. There's a, if you have the gospel, you are walking around with supernatural power. I don't know if you get that. And you have a hope inside of you that, uh, that your non-Christian friend does not have. If you fail in the biggest way, and you really know you have, but the most important person still accepts me. <laughs> Doesn't just accept me, will come after me and love me every day. That's what I have. Yeah. And if you share that with somebody else, you just, all bets are off. <laughs> so um, I'm gonna share with you a couple things I learned from two pastors I respect. One is, okay, Tim Keller. And you know one of the things he says? He says, look, sometimes you go into the church and we always think that people have to go through various different steps before they'll change and then become, okay, then in one sense it's true. But he goes, he, one of the things he goes, like, one of the things you have to realize is the gospel can change a person instantly on the spot. Do you understand that? The gospel can change somebody instantly on the spot. It's just that you still know where they're coming from. They're in a dark place and then it's like light shoots into their mind that there's a person and he's God and he can accept you and forgive you and will love you forever. Are, are you kidding? That sounds completely insane, but wait a second. So if you have never heard this message before and all your life you're under the bondage of performance, and by the way, performance leads to two, to two types of people. The people that can perform and then they look down on everybody else and then the people that can't perform so then they feel terrible. <laughs> So then they hate themselves if they actually believe that they're supposed to perform. Now, if they don't believe they're supposed to perform, then it's an F you to these people. <laughs> so that's why there's pride. We look down on you and these people are depressed or we hate you. It's like depression, I hate myself and F you, I hate you. That's the world. Okay, well, that's the world. Now, imagine you're, you meet your coworker, your coworker, that's all they've experienced their whole life their mom, their dad, their teacher. Their, oh, wait, there was an aunt. She offered me mercy and grace. That's it. It's the only person. <laughs> oh, wait, there was a preschool teacher. She was special. She loved me. Nobody else did. That's it. That's it. And you tell that person, hey, do you want to meet? I believe in God. Well, I have a personal relationship with her. Like, who wants that? And then they are the gospel. Now, maybe you don't want to be the one to tell them, or you're not sure you're the one who could tell them. Well, then you just kind of get them into the church picnic. <laughs> and then they find out that these people are like cool. And occasionally, then they meet somebody else and find out what? You, were, you weren't a Christian until you were 25 years old? Well, I'm 25 years old. I guess it's possible to become a Christian after you're 25 years old. And they're like, that's interesting. That's really weird. And then they find out this person was a raging atheist like five years ago. And they're like, oh, I'm a raging atheist five years ago, but now I'm kind of in the less sure stage. And then they might walk into this room and get changed instantly on the spot. That can happen. It is going to happen. <laughs> Let me give you another example. This is a 
from a pastor that's a piece of advice that I would, I, I love this teaching and I want to offer it to you. His name is James Emery White. Um, his church is, it's, it's, uh, well, his church I think is in North Carolina. <laughs> so I think they use this kind of like ways of really speaking to non-Christians. And since it's more of the Bible belt, and by the way, the Bible belt has all kinds of people that are rejecting Christianity. So it should, we should be starting calling it the former Bible belt. Okay. Um, but there, you know, his church is blowing up. And this is one of the things that he, he said um, that he tells people in his church. And, uh, and I want to say it to you. So you think you're not good at um, sharing the gospel with your, your non-Christian friends, right? Well, join the club, all 11 of them that started the club called the church, okay? Because they were so good at it, right? No, they weren't, right? So you weren't good at it. You're not good at it. You're like, I'm not good at it. I don't know, pastor. They're, they're not, they're not going to, they're not going to listen to me. And then I'm not going to be able to get them to come to church. And I will just, then I'll realize I, I stink at it. Right? Isn't that how you feel? I know many of you feel this way. Here's what James Emery White has to say to you. All your non-Christian friends, they all have a piece of kryptonite. There's a weakness. They all have the super armor. They're all like protected against Jesus. Don't want to hear any of that Jesus stuff. Right? but they have a piece of kryptonite. You know what that kryptonite is? It's you. You're the kryptonite. You know why? Because you're their friend. They like you. They respect you. They trust you. You know, if you, they know you're not the kind of person who's going to like do some kind of religion thing on them. You're not going to like, Okay, let me like, you know, I mean, act like some strange, weird cult and stick something kind of religion. They know you're not that kind of person. So if you gently, humbly ask them, they'll actually consider it. <laughs> they'll actually consider it. You know, in this day and age of marketing, this day and age of social media, you know what's the most powerful appeal there is? Word of mouth. <laughs> you know Why? Because if somebody you know and somebody you respect and you trust said, I use this product, it works for me. It doesn't really matter what everybody else says. You're like, really? Maybe it'll work for me. Except the product that we're selling, we're not selling it because we're not making any money. The product we're giving away is eternal life. <laughs> it's the biggest hope. It's a love that cannot be defeated. We sing it. Your mercy it reigns forever. We sing it. We sing it every week. A person can walk in this room, sit right there in that chair and go, they really believe this? And then they, and then they go, could it be true? Could it be true? So you trust not in how good you are. You should just trust in the friendship. But trust in the gospel. <laughs> Trust in the gospel. And if they don't like it, it's, it's okay. Maybe it'll be next year. You know, you just, this is what I do. When I share the gospel with a friend of mine or I you know, invite them to, and then they kind of go, yeah, okay, what, okay, that's okay, that's cool, Susan. <laughs> All right? You know what I just do? I just go, okay, let's just wait for the bottom to drop out on your life next year. <laughs> let's wait till you really need somebody's help two years from now. Oh, let's wait till your marriage is in trouble three years from now. Let's wait till your kid hates you five years from now. 
Let's wait till you really realize you need help, that you're gonna fail, and you need grace. Let me close this message. All this, all this throughout this message, I've really just been telling you, stop worrying about your performance. Stop worrying about how good you are. Actually, all this week as a, as a pastor, I've been like prepping this message and I'm going like, gosh, Susan, all this week you've been worrying about your performance. You're worrying about how good of a pastor you are, how good of a leader you are. Is this church going to make it? Is this church going to make it? Am I good enough? If the church makes it, it's probably because I'm not good enough. You know how many times that thought has come into my mind this week? More often than I'd like to admit. Right? And then this funny thing happened. I was in my devotionals. I was in my pers- in personal worship. That's what we, we call it, life on life, missional discipleship. And it was basically, it, it came from the book of Galatians. It's like, who told you you were running so well? That's what it said. You were running so well, but now why are you depending on the works of the law? Why are you not trusting in the Holy Spirit who takes you to Jesus? And I read that word, and I could say, Jesus said, um, can you calm down, Susan? <laughs> My brothers and sisters, the 11 disciples, they worshiped and they doubted. And yet, the Lord is changing the world through what he started with them. Is it possible he could be changing Sunnyvale and Santa Clara but he starts with you and me. Now I want to close this way. We believe in a grace. This is the nature of the gospel. I say this word grace, and you're like, yeah, grace. Okay, good. Okay, let, let's get, grace is an absolutely, infinitely big word. You hearing what I'm saying? It's always bigger than you think. Do you understand what infinitely big means? It's bigger and bigger and bigger. As soon as you think you've gotten to the top of how big it is, you're still not even close. Grace is an infinitely big word describing an infinitely big reality. So I'm gonna close with the story. So we do this thing called life on life mission discipleship. In discipleship, we have to train people, the disciple, train these brothers to follow Jesus, you know, get really thick in the Bible and start repenting of their sins. And one of the big things that we, have, we, we, we bit by bit take them to is mission. That is, engage your non-Christian neighbor and help them to meet Jesus through the gospel. Okay, and then we honestly talk about it. So in, 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 the, in our discipleship, you know, we just started this last year. Uh, I won't say the names, or anything, but a couple of the guys basically admitted they were scared to do this. And then I said, why are you scared to do this? And both of them had a very similar fear. It was something like this. They said, if I ask one of my friends to come to church, I'm afraid they're going to say something like this. You're a Christian? You? You're a Christian? Really? Hmm. They're afraid of that reaction. Then in other words, that they are such a weak representative of Christ that if they ask a person to meet Christ in church, the, the reaction will be like, are you serious? Come on. <laughs> You're a schmuck Christian. <laughs> like, why would I want what you got? I'm going to give the man, you the answer that I gave them. I said, brothers, 
Actually, if that's the reaction they have, that's a good day. Here's what you say. It's because I'm such a lousy person. <laughs> that's why I need Jesus. It's because I need grace. That's why I go to church. And if you want a little bit of that in your life, maybe you should come to church with me. <laughs> and you'll find out. That's who we're introducing people to. And when they come into this room and they come into the park, come into our whatever events that we do, right? They're going to find that. And in this church, whatever we ask you to do, whatever Jesus tells you to do, he commands you to do this, always remember it is under the grace of God. <laughs> An infinitely big reality. The cross is the final, final word. You and I are worse than these guys. As bad as these guys are worse than these guys. And we fail to obey and we disobey and we fall down and we're afraid and we don't do it. We regularly don't do it. And yet Jesus says, I forgive you. And I laugh. And I'm there again. And I encourage you. And I give you my spirit. And I give you my word. Go try again. <laughs> so brothers and sisters, we're going to want this church. Just please think about this a little bit. Ask, think about your friend. No grace. Every day you wake up, you have some. They don't have probably any, why don't you invite them to grace? And then let's just let God do his thing. Yes? Let's pray. Not to us, Lord Jesus, is the glory. It's certainly not our righteousness and our goodness. And it sure can't be dependent on how well we perform because we don't perform very well. But we are so in awe that you would choose us. How could you choose someone like me, Jesus? To be your evangelist, to be your witness, heck, to be a pastor. I regularly think, how the heck did I become a pastor? And here we are in the church. There's so many of your children, Father, they regularly forget they're in Christ. And if they're in Christ, they have infinite grace, which will never fail them. And so can't they take a chance and obey? And if we will obey, will we not see potentially a little piece of the greatest show on earth, the great infinitely loving father chasing after his lost children the greatest show on earth, and some of them get found. And if we are so blessed, we will see some of that. Help Revive Church to see much of that. And help us to take steps of repentance and faith. And would we go with much grace? In Jesus' name.